Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for allowing us to assemble together in your name. We ask you to take the time, bless it, use it to your service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Pick your Bibles and let's go to the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, this is our third lesson and we are moving uh, fairly briskly, at least for for my pace through the scriptures. Uh, we've our third lesson and we should be... Uh, Lord willing, finishing up chapters 4 and 5 tonight is what the plan is. And, um, of course, there's an awful lot in here that's just uh, simply very easy to understand, but that's not the point. Um, It is so, uh, you can get wrapped up in Solomon's despair, but where in Scripture does God tell us to enjoying despair and woe and agony and all of these things to give up. I mean, God put this in here for a reason to show us where we could end up if we're not careful. I mean, remember, we, uh, we have every hope and every expectation of meeting Solomon on the right side of eternity in spite of all the terrible things that he writes about in this book. And... Uh, as we start here, what I'd like to to do is just catch a few verses here um, to, again, try to give us the positive spin on all of the bad things that he writes about. Look at verse 9 of chapter 4. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Uh it is good. Jesus, um, God said is in creation, it is not good for man to be alone. Solomon says, listen, it's good. If two are better than one. And we look here in verse 13. Better is a poor and wise child. Now, who was Solomon? The richest king that ever sat on the throne in Jerusalem, uh, arguably one of the wealthiest and the wisest men that ever lived. And yet he's saying it's better to be a poor and wise child than, what's the rest of that verse say? Uh, Than an old and foolish king who will no more be admonished. And uh, let's... uh, Uh, Skip down here in uh, chapter 5, verse 18. Behold, that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor, that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life which God giveth him. For it it is his portion." Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he shall not much remember the days of his life because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. Now, as Solomon is going through all of this despair... All of this vanity of vanities, everything is worthless, everything is nothing. Not only is it nothing, it is the prince of nothingness. 
this is Solomon's life at the end of his life or toward the end of his life. Uh, we believe that he has written the book of Ecclesiastes here. And yet there's these incredible little gems that would give us hope and give us direction and point us back toward the God of the Bible. And so let's just start and wade our way through these two chapters, I hope, tonight. So, verse 1 of chapter 4, So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of such as were oppressed, and they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors there was power, but they had no comforter. Wherefore, I praise the dead, which are already dead, more than the living, which are yet alive. Yea, better is he that both they which hath not been, who have not seen evil work, that is done under the sun. Now, as I read the beginning of chapter 4, my thoughts went right back to the beginning of the book of Job. After all of his travail happened, Job's first answer to his three friends were, I wish I'd never been born. And then you'll see his second answer, I just, if God would give me my request, it'd be that he'd just kill me. I wish I could just die now and be done with it. The only problem was Job could not see the end of what God was doing. And one of the things that we need to remember, and probably uh, most of us in here one time or another said, just, just, just kind of, you know, hopefully not thinking suicide and things like this, but just kind of wishful thinking, maybe it had been better if I just were gone, if the Lord would just take this pressure away from my life. Uh, Paul put it this way. He said, we despaired even of life. He said, there was a time in my life where the pressures were so great that even if God would deliver us from all of this oppression and all of these problems, that would not be my most desired answer. And we, we come to these things and we look, and of course, uh, I think... Uh, I don't know which historian said it first, but, you know, the greatest uh, uh, fact in human history is the willingness of man to oppress and enslave his fellow man. I mean, it's amazing how some men will take, or women, will take it upon themselves to control and destroy others. And it seems like God is not paying attention. Well, I want you to skip down with me to chapter 5 and verse 8. It says, If thou seest the oppression of the poor and the violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province, in a province, marvel not at the matter, for he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be higher than they. You know, sometimes we grow on a crusade to right every wrong, to solve the problems of other people. You know what? Uh, the Bible's given us a warning there. You better watch out. 
You know, it is God's providence. It is God's area of justice. He is the one that's paying attention. And so many times people are tempted to do things that are wrong to try to solve problems here on earth. Example, biblical example, Moses. Raised in the house of Pharaoh, saw the Egyptian oppressing and wrongly punishing uh, one of the children of Israel. And so Moses decided that he would settle the score. Though it seems that what he did was maybe he hit him a little too hard or used the wrong kind of weapon in his hand. Uh, it's not that, it, it's, it, the scripture reads, it's not that Moses just intended to kill that person, but that's what happened. Why? Because he was trying to right wrongs that God said, hey, wait a minute, I'm going to right those wrongs. When God took care of the children of Israel 40 years later, let me tell you something, he, he weighed out the scales now, didn't he? And, and God weighs things in an even justice and an even scale, and God rules by his own standard of holiness. Now Solomon is looking at all of this and he says in chapter 4, it just, it's better to be dead than to live under oppression. Uh, there were a group of people on this continent that felt that way once in uh, the 1760s and 1770s. And you know what? Many of them had the opportunity to give their life for freedom. And we is still enjoying the most free society that mankind has ever known. In spite, in spite of all of the rules and the regulations and the things. Uh, I remember one time I, I got a phone call and said, so-and-so is going to be on this Christian radio station. We want preachers to call. And, and, and so I... I Okay, I tuned in and I listened and I called and and uh, the guy was talking about the founding of this country and I said, what do you think would happen if, if George Washington were able to see the nation that he founded? And uh, the guy's terribly in-depth answer was, he'd roll over in his grave. Uh, wow. Those men did not die for what we have today. But again, let's go back. As long as there are people who are able to oppress others, what are they going to do? They're going to do it. And the power belongs to the oppressor. Otherwise, they wouldn't be oppressing. And... There oftentimes will be no comforter, but I want you to be reminded as we go through this entire passage, Solomon isn't just laying this aside. He comes back to it in chapter 5 and says, listen, that's not your problem to solve because God is going to take care of it. You know... Uh, Maybe sometime the Lord will let me preach a whole sermon on this one subject and i got to keep moving or we'll never get through. But 
If we as Christians would take care of the things that God wants us to take care of and let God take care of the things that belong to Him, wouldn't it be a better world? So many times we as His servants are trying to sit in the place of God and take care of the things that only God can take care of. And as we get through this, I hope you're going to see how that uh, Solomon, when it's all said and done, he's saying, if you really want joy, you need to enjoy today. You need to live your life in the joy of the Lord today. Not waiting for tomorrow. Not waiting for some great accomplishment. You know, some people spend their whole lives. I remember back when Julie and I were uh, preparing for marriage, uh, Brother Marshall just was uh, getting a new bus as we were dating. And uh, I can remember the guys coming up to him almost one in every, at least one in every church. Well, you know, Brother Marshall, I got this little thing working on the side here. Once I uh, uh, hear from these investors that are investing in my project, uh, we're going to send you money. Another guy said, well, I've got this lawsuit. Uh, I came up with this phrase that the state is using in all their advertising. It belongs to me. And and as soon as I sue the state and get that settlement, Brother Marshall, I'm going to buy you that bus. And I remember my father-in-law saying, not holding my breath. You know what you need to do is if you can't enjoy today, if you can't enjoy the life you're living, you're, you're missing out because you're not going to get it back. And so we go through the first few verses here and it, it, uh, it says that, you know, Solomon in his despair and his turning to himself in his own heart says, I I think it's better to to never even have been born than to see the evil work done under the sun. Is that what God tells us? No, He says, with much tribulation, He shall enter the kingdom of God. Amen? The God is not here to take away all of your problems and give you a perfect life. He is here to give you strength to overcome the world. Not by outworlding the world, but to overcome evil with good. Amen? And so we get to the next verse here. In verse 4, he goes the next step. He says, again, I considered all the travail and every right work, that for this a man is envied of his neighbor. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. Even when you do everything right and you're living in peace and you're free... Your neighbor sits there and says, boy, aren't they lucky. I wish I had what they had. And you've got to put up with people demeaning what God has done in your life. I remember when God did the miracle to help us buy the building. There were several preachers come up and, you know, we've got to do that for our church. Move it to New York and we'll see what the Lord will do. Amen? I don't want to live there. Well, maybe that's why God didn't do it for you. Amen? I mean, come on. Give give the Lord a break. 
And, and the simple truth of the matter is, even if you do everything right, there's going to be somebody there to rain on your parade. And Solomon says, let's just die now instead of having to put up with the problems. What a childish attitude. What a foolish attitude. And that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is here for. It's allowing us to look at the wrong side of things and say, whoa, wait a minute. Is that where I want to end up? Uh Uh-uh. That's not where I want to end up. And I hope and pray you're with me on that one. And we come here to verse 5. It says, The fool foldeth his hands together and eateth his own flesh. Better is a handful with quietness than both the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. You know, it, it's, these, these aren't complicated verses. Why does the fool fold his hands? Well, number one, he has nothing to put in them because that's the reward of foolishness. And he's not going to use them to work To get anything, that's why he's foolish. So he doesn't have anything to do. I remember Steve and I, I'm just so bored, I can't work, I can't do this. And and, uh, gracious, loving father that I am, I said, son, here's some things for you to do. Forward twiddle and the backward twiddle. He was just real appreciative of that grand and glorious advice from dad. But if you can't do anything, the thing is, that's what the fool says to himself. But there's always something to do if you want to serve the Lord. Amen? And so, we, we look here in these verses, in verse 6, uh, would solve most of life's problems. Better is a handful with quietness than to have both hands full and to have travail and vexation. If When we get over to chapter 5, it's in verse 11, it says, When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. The more you have, the more friends you have. Uh, the more you get, the more people are asking for. And what we just need to understand is that if I can have what I need to live in freedom and be peaceable, no matter how small that is, I've got the good life. There, there are just some people that will never be satisfied with a good life. They want something more. They think it's going to take more. Uh, they've got to base their livelihood on what they can hold in their hands. And if that's the way you are, the Solomon is telling us here, it is going to be travail and vexation of spirit. And then verse 7, he says, then I returned. He said, I stopped thinking about all this and I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone and there is not a second Yea, he that yea he hath neither child nor brother. Yet is there no end of all his labor. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches. Neither saith he, For whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good? This is also vanity. Yea, 
It is a sore travail. Now, who was that one that's all alone that Solomon was looking at? Himself. Have you ever met someone that really accomplished something spectacular? You know how they did it? Chances are they did it alone. You have to give up some things. I mean, the story of Bill Gates, if we want to pick on him for a few minutes. You know what? He didn't have very many helpers. I mean, it was, it was Bill Gates. And somebody was talking to me, says, yeah, he's got this 15 million or whatever it is, probably 50 million dollar house out there somewhere dug into the hillside in California or Washington. You push buttons and security and says, he's got this secret room that not even his wife has access to. Now, I don't know. This was just something somebody was telling me and I'm As I'm reading this, I'm thinking, yeah, all by himself. You know, when you're at the top, you don't have very many friends. You read the lives of many of these even great musicians and things. Elvis Presley had to buy his friends. Um, One time my wife and I were riding a Staten Island ferry. And I heard the most beautiful violin music I've ever heard in my life. And a few weeks later, was just listening to the news. And they had talked about this fellow. He played all the major European symphonies, several, um, most of the major American symphonies. And when he wasn't on tour, because there was nothing in him, no character, no, he, he was out on the street playing his violin to try to get enough money to get the next meal. So here he is with a several hundred thousand dollar violin playing on the Staten Island Ferry. It had to have been him. I've never heard anyone play like that. And, you know, people, what will, Jesus put it this way, what will man give in exchange for his soul? Solomon had everything there was to have. And you know what he realized? He had no peers. There were no friends. There, were no, there was no living man that was his equal. He was all by himself. And he said, who am I laboring for? Well, go back to chapter 2 and 3. Uh, actually, he says... Uh, that the, the, this, this person does not say, for, who am I laboring for? You know, parents will labor for their children. Uh, people will put up things for family members and, and will go through difficulties. Fathers and, and mothers will go through difficult times so that they can provide properly for their children. But who needs a hundred billion dollars? Who, who needs all of this extravagant wealth that people accumulate? You know, you spend the first 50 years of your life earning it and the last 10 trying to give it all away, like Mr. Carnegie did. Why? So you feel better about yourself. 
Solomon says, don't do that. You know, that's one of the problems I have with this financial advisor, Dave Ramsey, that's out there. He's, you know, he's saying, do all this stuff so that when you retire, you'll have all this money sitting around in the bank. Hey, you know what? I'd rather enjoy life today because I don't know if I'm going to retire someday. I have a feeling things are going to change a little bit and we just might not uh, be able to even worry about retirement and, and all of these things that people have done in the past. It, it could be a very different world. And how many people have lost everything in the stock market and in uh, the Bernie Madoff and all of these things? Why? He says, listen... I gave up everything. You know, Solomon knew what kind of man Rehoboam was. He wasn't much of one. That's why he's despairing here in the chapters 2 and 3. I'm going to give everything to my son, and who knows whether he's a fool or a wise man, but he's certainly nothing compared to me. Solomon gave it all up so he could have all of this incredible wisdom and riches and power. And he said, I'm going to give it all to somebody else and it's nothing. You know, we need, we need to stop and think about what we are striving for with our lives. You can't have as much money as Solomon did. You can't have as much power as Solomon did. You can't have as much brains as Solomon did. And Lord forbid that you should try to have as many wives as Solomon did. I I mean, there's just such a mess out of this guy's life. And when it's all said and done, he's sitting there looking, I'm all by myself. What's the, he said, two are better than one. He said, two are better than one. Then one. Because they have a good reward. Do you know that two laborers working together can easily accomplish more in a day than three men working separately? That's a standard rule. In fact, if things are right, uh, I knew we just called him a brickie. He was a mason, but not the secret handshake guy. He was the guy that put the blocks in the wall. And uh, he said, two of us working can do the work of four or five men working by themselves. And it'll be better work. And Solomon says, you know, two are better than one. They have a good reward for their labor. If they'll work together, they're going to get a whole lot more done. It's verse 10. This, this just really needs not a lot of definition, explanation. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. You know, I think of that verse every time I want to go into the woods. I'm talking about the wilderness type of woods. You know what? There's people every year in this state, in New York, they go into the woods alone and never come out. Do you know that you can die from a sprained ankle in the wilderness? 
Because if you're 10 or 15 miles in, you're not getting out. You're stuck when Mr. Bear comes along and decides to have dinner at your expense. Uh, it's, it's, listen, if two lie together, then, they sh- then have they heat. But how can one be warm alone? If one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. You know, I, I read this verse, and I think uh, a story, just a quick story. When, uh, see, I was, yeah, just graduating Bible college, I think. And my brother and I were traveling together on the Greyhound bus to Baltimore. Now, the bus station in Baltimore was in a very not-so-nice part of town. And uh, we were waiting for our mother to drive down uh, the 40 miles or so to pick us up. And, and I looked over at Jim and I said, you know, that guy's looking at me. And he said, yeah, the one over here has been looking at me for the last few minutes. And so we just picked up our bags and went. And uh, there was this one like little bench here. And we sat down. Uh, well, actually, we set our bags down on the bench and then just stood back to back. And about 30 seconds later, three guys walked out of the bus station. He said, yeah, he said, we outnumbered them three to two. Um, but listen, that's, that's the way it works. You have three guys. Read the story of David's mighty men. Three guys could stand off a small army. You're going to go it alone. You're going to have problems. You have some people you work with. You're going to have some comfort along the way. Solomon is feeling this at the end of his life. And then he goes on. He says, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Verse 13, better is a poor and wise child than an old and foolish king who will no more be admonished. For out of prison he cometh to reign, whereas also he that is born in his kingdom becometh poor. I'll tell you what, when, when you have a king, when you're in a position of authority, when your government no longer listens to wise counsel, guess what's going to happen to everybody who lives under their authority? They're going to get poor. So just don't believe all this wonderful stuff you hear about the economy that really isn't true. Uh, It says that they come out of prison to reign. I mean, they cannot do the right thing because of foolish decisions that have been made. Enough said about today here. He said, I considered all the living which walk under the sun with the second child that shall stand up in his stead. There is no end of all the people, even of all that have been before them. They also that come after them shall not rejoice in him. Surely this is also, this also is vanity and vexation of spirit. Now what is so hilarious about this statement Solomon is making is we are 3,000 years removed from the life of Solomon. And who are we talking about tonight? Uh, Solomon, 
And what is he lamenting here? That nobody's going to remember me. Nobody's going to remember all the great things that I've done. Of course, we spend probably more time talking about the foolish things that Solomon did. Because we need to take admonition and exhortation from those things. And Solomon is just saying, I've considered this next person that's going to come up, who's going to stand in my stead. And then there's going to be another one that's just going to go on and nobody's going to remember me. They're all going to forget who I am. You know, the last time I checked in this book called the Bible, it is not the duty and soul of a Christian to have people remember who they are. The soul and duty of the Christian is to have people remember who Jesus is. And if you want to spare, and I, I could give you some preachers' names who, who have despaired over the great ministries that they built knowing that there was nobody that could do what they had done. I'll tell you what, I'd far rather, and I don't have a choice, by the way, pastor a small church and be with people who want to serve God together and enjoy the struggles of this life than to be one of those big executive guys that has to go all alone. I just don't believe the Lord intended it that way. I mean, there are some people that are just going to be successful no matter what they do. That's not God's blessings. That is just simple, natural ability. There's a difference. If you want the gift of the Holy Spirit, that means that the Holy Spirit is giving you something that you don't have. Amen? It is something that you couldn't possibly get on your own. That's why it's called the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so what we want is the Holy Spirit working in our lives so that we're not concerned about all of these other things and we're not alone in our achievements because they're not our achievements. They're the Lord's. And we press on here. I think we can get this done. Be careful how you behave around God is what he's going to say in the next section here. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business. Now, there's an answer. You want to have dreams at night? Just be crazy busy all day. And guess what? You'll dream all night, I promise you. If, if you want to get rid of dreams, sit down before you go to sleep. They, they say if you'll sit down and go through the events of the day and relax a little bit. But I'll tell you what, if you've had one of those days where you're just doing this and then running over and doing that, you, it's, you're going to torment your mind and it's going to come out when you sleep. And we keep going here. 
It says, when, it says, and a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. Uh, you think that's why the Obamacare Act was 2,700 pages? Sorry, just had to ask that question. Um, when thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thy hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words there are also diverse vanities. But fear thou God. Now how many of you have a real problem understanding what was said in those verses? I mean, it's just pretty plain, isn't it? Don't make big promises, especially to God. After you've said something, don't try to explain it away. And don't let your mouth say things that are going to force you to do things wrong. Oh, you think you can do that? Prove it. What did you just do? You opened your mouth. And now the words of your mouth are forcing you to do something that's wrong. Be careful. Fear God, not man. Amen? Verses eight, uh, we, uh, verse 8, we already covered it. Uh, but God is watching. Verse 9, it says, Moreover, the prophet of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. How many of you had something good to eat today? You know what? Thank a farmer. Because they raised it, didn't they? You know, I've met people that despise farming and farm work. I don't. Because I like to eat. If they don't grow it, guess what? You're not eating it. And even the king has to depend upon the lowest of the low to raise that food. Because if they don't raise it, guess who doesn't eat? The king himself. Amen? When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? Don't give your life for something that you can look at. Now look at this next verse. The sleep of the laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much. But the abundance of the rich will not suffer them to sleep. There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail. And he that begetteth the son, and he begetteth the son, and there is nothing in his hand. As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a sore travail. 
that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. You know, they used to tell the joke of some guy, he said, I want to be buried in my Cadillac. And so they strapped him in this thing, and they were hauling it off to the graveyard. And uh, with him sitting in it, and somebody made the um, very astute comment, Wow, that's living. Uh, Not quite. You can't take it with you. You think you can. People believe that they can. But Solomon is saying, listen, I was born with nothing and I'm going to die with nothing. What am I going to leave behind me? You know, he knew what he was going to leave behind him. A kingdom that was under the judgment of God for the foolishness of the old king, which would not be... um, Where is it? Uh, um, would not be admonished. You see, it's good, it's comely to enjoy life. Solomon had everything except joy. He had everything but peace. He had everything but the greatest things that life has to offer. He had no Peers, he had no friends, he had no children. Though he did have children, he did have people who called themselves friends. Uh, he did have these things as, as we might look at. But as so many famous and rich people have found, their money did not bring them real friendship or real love or real anything. It just made life more difficult to tell who, was, who were the parasites and who really cared. And Solomon says, as he ends this section up, that if you can work and enjoy the work of the day and the food of the day, it's a gift from God. Look at this last verse for me. With me. Verse 20 will be done. For he shall not much remember the days of his life because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. You know what? There are people who have to sit down and figure everything out. You know what they don't have? what this verse is talking about. He says, he's not remembering, he's not sitting down and thinking through every thought and every deed and every action of his life because he's got the joy of God in his heart and he doesn't need to worry about all those things. Wouldn't that be a wonderful way to live? Now, don't allow this to go to the world's understanding of eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's not what Solomon is saying. 
What Solomon is saying here is that this man who has the good and has the gift of God is not one of those guys that has to sit down and philosophize and, and codify every action and behavior of life and, uh, and uh, put it all down in writing because God's giving him joy in his heart and he's living a day as unto the Lord. I think that has an awful lot to do with what Jesus said, except ye be converted and become as little children. Ye shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. Because children don't take time to figure it all out. They're able to enjoy life for what it is. And you know what? We need to enjoy life. Amen? We need to stop all of these things. And hey, if we end up under the hand of the oppressor, as many of God's people have over the centuries. Guess what? God is watching. And even though it feels like there's no comforter today, all the Bible tells me there is. Amen? And I'm not going to despair. I'm not going to give up on life. Because life is a gift that God has given you know, sometimes we wonder why people just linger on and, and suffer seemingly for such long periods of time. I, I believe one of the reasons is God wants you and I to understand how precious life really is. And we need to serve God with what He has given us. This is a lesson that the wisest man who ever lived never learned. How'd you like to be smarter than the wisest man who ever lived? Amen? That's why the book of Ecclesiastes is here. To help us uh, understand that our lives, we're going to expend our life energy for something. You can do it for things that perish, for things that bring vanity, or you can do it in the joy of the Lord. And all God's people said, Heavenly Father, we come before you this night and we ask that you would help us to make those choices that would take us away from the dangerous paths that Solomon chose to tread. Lord, those lonely paths, those empty paths, and let us walk in the joy of our Lord. We ask that you would give us wisdom to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer tonight, I'll just give you an opportunity to add of your own.